Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry, hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. And each week we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 66, we sit down with Christian Weeks, who is the CEO of Inverid Systems. Sincerely enjoyed my conversation with Christian as we talk about his career path, pursuing his MBA, and ultimately landing in this role at Inverid running the organization. Now, Christian has some powerful and meaningful insights into the advice he would give to his children and ultimately what he wants his lasting legacy to be. Be sure to stick around to the end to hear these nuggets of wisdom. Now, if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So uh, if you're still streaming the episodes, I urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. Now, if you enjoy the episode, please share it and leave a five-star review. We think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Christian and I. So let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today we're sitting down with Christian Weeks, who is the CEO of Inverid Systems. Christian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here with you. Yeah, I'm glad we carved out the time and, and made this thing happen. So before we get into Inverid Systems, I'm sure a lot of our audience is going to at least recognize the name or know what you guys do. But uh, what I wanted to do was just take a step back for a second. Uh, if you could tell our audience a little bit about your background, where you grew up and how you got started in the industry here. Sure. So I grew up in New England. My early years were in Massachusetts and then Southern New Hampshire. So I was fortunate to be able to spend a lot of times as a kid running around in the mountains and swimming in the lakes and enjoying the outdoors. I, uh, when I, as I got into school, I uh, ended up going to college up in New Hampshire as well, stayed in state to go to Dartmouth College, where I studied political science or government, as we called it. And had a lot of fun with that, but decided in, rather than pursue a, a career in government, I wanted to get in the business world. And so I joined Deloitte Consulting, their management consulting practice. I like to describe that as uh, essentially wanted to get my apprenticeship in business to learn a little bit of, the, of, of business from a uh, sort of a generalist uh, angle, if you will, and spent a number of years doing that. I had a lot of fun, learned a tremendous amount, which is really what I was going for at the time in my career, early young guy trying to figure out where I wanted to focus my interest in business um, and had a lot of fun with that and decided that, you know, this was really where I wanted to, to stay. Um, and so decided to go back and get a master's degree, get an MBA to sort of get some formal business training. I'd also decided at the time, you know, consulting while really great experience. I realized that I want to be an operator. I want to actually run the business or help build the business rather than just give advice and support the business. And so my whole idea with getting an MBA was using that as a as a opportunity to transition into an operating role. And also I wanted to do something that was related to the energy or climate tech space. Because at the time, this was around 2008, Energy is a huge industry, and we were starting to see the beginning of that energy transition with renewables becoming more cost-effective with battery storage technology still in the lab, but becoming more viable, and many other things happening in the energy space that 
you know, made me start to connect the dots between my upbringing and the what I had taken for granted as a kid, but realized as an older how lucky I was to have these great outdoors to enjoy. All the changes happening in the energy industry around energy efficiency and these different technologies that this would be an interesting place to start to build a career. So that's really where I focused coming out of my MBA. I ended up joining a, a company in Boston called Enernoc, which was a leader in commercial industrial energy efficiency and demand response. And I spent over a decade there uh, in various sort of sales and marketing related roles and ultimately general management roles running different businesses within Enernoc. Uh, was involved in in ultimately selling Enernoc to a large European utility and LX, which acquired Enernoc in 2017. Stayed on for some years to run the North America Energy Services business, but ultimately had the itch to to sort of start over, try to build another business, maybe even start an, at an earlier stage. And long and short, I ended up at Inverid, which is another Boston-based company that's doing some really innovative things in the clean energy energy efficiency space. So we'll get into that, but that's a quick overview of my a quick overview of my background. No, that's that's perfect. So, you know, one of the things I was I was curious about was when you look back about your decision to go to, to business school to go get your MBA, was there anything that was specifically drawing you there? Like you mentioned, hey, you got your undergrad in, in government. Like, what about the business side was tre- intriguing or attractive to you? Yeah, well, I've always been interested in in concepts around leadership, leading organizations, trying to make things work better. You know, trying to. Build organizations. I've done some things in even high school and college, more from a civic standpoint. But being involved in you know running student government and some some initiatives in the community, and so this aspect leadership, I guess, was the common thread between yeah. government and business that always interested me. And um, the MBA for me was a chance to, as I decided, I wanted to focus on on the business side of things. And become hopefully a leader in business. The MBA was a chance to get some formal training to complement what I'd learned sort of on the job as, as I say, an apprentice in the management consulting business, but to sort of connect, you know get some formal training. And also, um, I was really interested in the in the case method that that the many business schools have adopted, where they they're teaching you uh, how to be a business leader by seeing lots of movies almost, if you will, by working through many cases and starting to see patterns and understand what makes organizations work and what, you know, what makes them not work as well, perhaps. And so the idea to essentially pack into a two-year program, you know, 500 cases, 500 movies about different businesses and different aspects of those businesses and how they had grown or where they had struggled, to me, that was uh, really interesting and a way to sort of help me accelerate what I wanted to accomplish as as hopefully a, a business leader in the future. Yeah, and the other thing I was curious about, you mentioned 2008, which is such a striking time to come out of any yeah. school, any program, right? But I know that the the energy industry has has traditionally been very resilient, even through tough economic times. So yeah. was there was that part of your decision at all to to go to work for Enernoc, or what was the climate looking like coming out in 2008 with the NBA? Yeah, so I I actually went in the NBA in 2008, came out around 2010. Oh, okay. But it, okay. It was still, you know, it was still a bit of a precarious time. Things were looking a little bit better uh, when I got out. Turned out to be a great time to be in school. But you know, at the time, I was poking around the sort of clean tech sector, which was relatively early still then. Um, and what I found at the time was that a lot of the technologies were being developed around batteries and wind and solar and other things were still pretty early. They were starting to develop, mm-hmm. but a lot of the companies in the Boston area where I did my MBA that were innovating in this space 
were full of scientists and one or two business people, maybe. Um, and uh, whereas what I found at Enernoc, which had been around for, for a few more years, which was and which was focused on energy efficiency, is it was more a business model innovation. It was more about how do we, um, it was certainly technology driven, but it was much more around business model around demand response and energy efficiency. And so it wasn't as dependent on incentives or R&D grants. And so that part of the market, you know, was was a little farther along, a little less risky, looking for more people who wanted to be, you know, driving the business side of it because we were growing as opposed to still doing the, the science, but, you know, in the work yes. in the lab. So around this time, it was sort of early energy transition time, um, but there were certain businesses like Enernoc that were well on their way and others that were still working through it in the lab. No, it makes sense. All right. No, that's, that's good stuff. All right. So you brought us up to speed. Tell us about Inverit Systems, the company, the business model, how you guys are going to market today. Yeah. So Inverit's been around now for over a decade. I think we're in our 13th year now, founded um, by two really smart entrepreneurs and scientists uh, uh, in the Boston area. And we've developed a technology, we call it sorbent ventilation technology, but essentially it's a sorbent media-based air filtration system focused on gaseous contaminants. So what we do is deploy a essentially an HVAC air cleaning system that removes gaseous contaminants from indoor air. So we're talking about VOCs, things like formaldehyde, removing ozone. We're also removing CO2 from indoor air. This allows us to deliver better indoor air quality through air cleaning, but at the same time allows us to offset some of the outside air requirements with cleaned indoor air, so we can also make those HVAC systems more energy efficient. So it's really an indoor air quality and energy efficiency play using air cleaning as the core underlying technology, the sorbent ventilation technology, and it complements other air cleaning systems for particles and bioaerosols like MERV filters, for example, or HEPA filters. So it's it's part of a way we can address the different aspects of indoor air quality, the particles, the pathogens, as well as the, the gases. And when we apply these technologies together, we can not only improve indoor air quality, but we can offset some of that outside air and therefore improve the energy efficiency, the HVAC efficiency of our buildings. So that's what we uh, do. We've been commercial since around 2014, 2015. So now for you know six or seven years. And we are essentially selling a piece of equipment, an air cleaning system that has this core sorbent ventilation technology inside. And we sell these systems through a network of manufacturer representatives who work with us in different territories to bring this market to primarily bring this technology primarily to the plan and spec market. Um, we also bring this technology to the existing building market through partnerships with uh, groups like Train and their owner direct service business and their energy service performance contracting business and ESCO businesses. So we're serving both plan and spec through manufacturer reps. We're serving the existing building market through these owner direct service teams. Um, we've got a partnership with Daikin Applied, which is integrating our technology inside their airside systems. So this is how we go to market. And our vision really is to help people address these very relevant challenges today around improving indoor air quality, but do it energy efficiently so we can also achieve climate reduction, decarbonization goals, climate climate goals. Very cool. So um, so give us an inside look. Let's rewind two years from today or so, March, April of 2020, COVID hits, everyone's freaking out. Indoor air quality is just this major topic of conversation. What did the, I guess, internal meetings look like at, at, at Varied? What did the in 
inbound inquiries look like? I mean, how crazy was it for you and your company at that time? We had built up some good momentum leading up to pandemic. We were getting, you know, almost to a, a thousand units installed in the field. Um, we brought in some new investors. We'd sign up some new distribution partners, some new manufacturer reps, which is really exciting. Turns out, actually, COVID for us presented more of a, a short-term headwind than it did a tailwind, um, which for some may be a little bit counterintuitive given sure. the focus on, on indoor air quality. But as I said, because our focus is from an air quality standpoint on the gaseous contaminants, and a big part of our value proposition is around replacing some of that outside with cleaned indoor air, as soon as the pandemic hit, a lot of the industry went back to, okay, let's bring in as much outside air as we can. Let's, you know, we want to dilute the indoor air as much as we can. And um, to the extent the industry was looking for air cleaning solutions, they were looking for solutions around particle and, and pathogen filtration, around bioaerosols, as opposed to the gases, which is our area of focus. So we actually saw a slowdown during the pandemic, and we we made some adjustments. We ended up rolling out a HEPA filtration system to address the particle side of the the indoor air quality equation. Um, but what's been really interesting is that as the pandemic has evolved and our understanding of how the virus is transmitted, you know, first the first of all, the fact that it's airborne, right? That was initially actually up for debate um, in some circles, but eventually we all sort of came to conclude and agree that turns out, you know, the primary transmission mechanism is through the air. So so we need good out, you know, we need good ventilation and we need good filtration and air cleaning. Um, and, and as we got, as we learned more about this, um, and also as we recognize or were reminded perhaps that just relying on outside air ventilation turns out not only is it really energy intensive, because in cold winters and hot summers, we got to condition lots of outside air, um, but also it turns out many of our systems weren't designed to bring in all this outside air that experts were recommending. So the guidance evolved as we got smarter and, and had to overcome some of these barriers. And the guidance evolved from ASHRAE and others to focus on layered strategies where we could combine outside air ventilation with filtration and air cleaning to achieve equivalent air change rates, where we could achieve exposure reduction goals, not just with more outside air, but with better indoor air cleaning. So as we've moved through the pandemic, you know, obviously there's been a huge focus on indoor air quality. At the same time, the climate change issue has become more and more front of, you know, in front of us. And so, and the, the understanding of how we deliver good indoor air quality has become more refined in the sense that it, we don't just need more outside air. In fact, the more energy efficient way to reduce risk to improve indoor air quality in many cases will be through better air cleaning. And that, of course, is very much in our sweet spot. We recommend Heimer filters for pathogens and for particles. And then we offer a solution around the gases. So you have a complete solution that's also energy efficient. Yeah, I just I was I was picturing it, right? Because nobody knew what was going on. Nobody knew what they were talking about. All of a sudden you had all of these indoor air quality experts that everyone was just acting like they knew what they were talking about. And it just became yeah. this like constant term that everyone was discussing. But yeah, that's why I just even if like the purchase orders were coming, I just was wondering if there was like consultation service, like, hey, you yeah. guys are in this world. What do we do? Yeah. Um, you know, those types of inquiries that were coming in. And and yeah, we obviously, you know, we do a lot of work in the, the ESCO, you know, energy performance contracting space. And to your point, right, this whole indoor air quality initial discussion, it was counterintuitive to energy savings, right? Because all the 
amount of energy that you got to take to pump this additional air into the buildings. It was like, hey, this is messing with our energy savings calculations here. But of course, that's what schools wanted. That's what all these buildings wanted, right? They needed to, you know, give people peace of mind when it came to indoor air quality. So now I appreciate your uh, your insight there. I thought um, there's a handful of companies that I know probably just got, uh, yeah, whether it's a headwind or a tailwind, you know, you got some, you got some wind coming, coming your way with that, um, with that time period. So, all right, so let's elevate. Let's look at the, uh, let's look at the future here. Let's look five, 10 years, you know, later on down the road, you know, where do you see the industry heading? And then where do you see Inverus systems fitting in with that overall vision there? Yeah, well, I think that's, I mean, that's the exciting thing for us is that while the last few years, it slowed us down in certain regards. I actually think if we look five or 10 years down the road, it probably is going to end up, we'll probably look back and, and view this period as an accelerator in the sense that the whole indoor air quality agenda is now much higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, it being, it's being thought of at a much higher level, you know, and, and you hear people saying things like we've got, re- you know, regulations and standards around the water we drink uh, and all sorts of other things in our environment. And yet air quality is something that really has been under the radar. It's the invisible that, that you know, we've, we've sort of haven't spent a lot of time thinking about. Of course, that's now changed. Um, and as I mentioned, what we've also seen over the last couple of years is that this climate change issue is real, needs to be addressed. It's also front and center. Related to that, we're seeing a lot more discussion around resiliency, resiliency to you know what's happening with the climate. But this is in terms of you know also there's also different ways to think about resiliency. But one of the areas, of course, that we think about it is in terms of the quality of the outdoor air. Uh, wildfires last summer highlighted this. Even in Boston, where we where we're based, we saw the effects of the wildfires in the West, you know, mm-hmm. impacting the air that we breathe outdoors. So we see these three trends: a, a, a increased focus on indoor air quality, uh, a a need to address the climate change issue, and related to that, this this need to improve the resilience of our buildings. We see these three trends really sort of shaping the future. And if you think about these three trends, what you know, we get back to what you were saying before, which is the old paradigm where we're just going to bring in more outside air to improve indoor air quality. It kind of becomes a non-starter in the sense that if we're going to make buildings more energy efficient and reduce their carbon impact, we can't just keep pumping in all this outside air and heating and cooling, it, especially as it gets hotter in the summer and colder in the wintertime. Right. Right. And when there's wildfires burning outside, we can't just pump in that outside air either. Everybody wants to shut the dampers and not bring in all that outside air. So we need ways to address, to deliver better indoor air quality, more energy efficiently, and also improve resilience. And we call this sustainable indoor air quality. But we need a sustainable indoor air quality. And we think the way to achieve sustainable indoor air quality is to clean the indoor air as much as we can. We've gotten there with recycling. We do it in many other aspects of our life. Why can't we apply it to the air we breathe? Um, you know, There's a lot of talk about we need to increase ventilation, we need to increase outside air. How about increasing clean air, especially when the outside air isn't fresh? So if we can use some of the lessons from the pandemic around layering, filtration, and air cleaning with outside air, that's going to be the energy optimum, healthy optimum that allows us to achieve better air quality more efficiently and improve resilience when there's wildfires burning, for example. And I think that's really the future. And we're hearing more and more other people say this, that we need alternatives to just increasing outside air. We need other ways to make sure we're breathing healthy, safe indoor air. Um, that don't just rely on pumping in outside air, especially when we're by an airport or an inner city or an area where you don't have, you know, fresh outside air at your disposal. 
And, and with that, do you see any change in your go-to-market strategy? You mentioned the manufacturer rep, you know, kind of spec route. You mentioned existing buildings. You, you know, do you still see going to market in those two broad ways, or do you see, hey, here's the future? We're going to focus more on existing buildings versus more on new construction. Yeah, you know, we have one of the the conversations we had during the pandemic was the need to shift more towards the existing building market as okay. the climate issue became more front and center because. There's a huge install base of existing buildings that need to be addressed. You look at local law 97 in New York or Birdo 2.0 coming in Boston, imposing essentially a, a dollar per ton of carbon emission from buildings. Most of that's going to affect the existing building stock. You know, the new stuff will be designed, you know, for, with the future in mind. Sure. So, yeah, we have tried to, we have been focusing, um, we've been sh- shifting our focus without leaving the plan and spec market. That's still a great market, but we've been looking to expand into the existing building retrofit market and do more with the ESCOs and do more with the owner direct service teams that are in these buildings and, and using, by the way, using infrastructure spending, using COVID relief funds to upgrade mechanical systems to improve um, their ability to clean the air from a particle and pathogen standpoint, but also from a gaseous contaminant standpoint. So yeah, the existing building market is really, um, you know, we, we're trying to do more there. We see that as, as really where the, the biggest opportunity is. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we do that, you know, we are going to market through our, our partners, but also doing some of our own business development, try to get directly to the owners and help them understand uh, the frameworks that we need for the future to achieve better indoor air quality, more energy efficiently, and help stimulate their interest and demand and have that also support our channel. So there are other ways, you know, the other things we think about are like, you know, finance models. Can we do some sort of shared saving model? Can we make this easier for the market to adopt? You know, th- those are are still in the works, but some of those concepts, but um, certainly there's a greater focus on the existing building stock. Makes sense. Makes sense. So let's transition to the last part of the show here, Christian. I wanted to ask you the same four questions we ask every guest who comes on and wanted to lead off with, what are your daily (laughs) non-negotiables? These are good ones, Jim. I had to think a little bit about some of these, Um, but I've got some answers for you, I think. Uh, On the non-negotiable side, I've, I've started to put a lot more priority around the hours of sleep I get every night. <laughs> and uh, that's something that I haven't always been good about. But there's a great book out there called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And uh, honestly, I actually fell asleep reading it, but I read enough of it to realize how important sleep is. And, and, and in terms of my daily life, it's not just about the quantity of things I check off the list. It's the quality of the work I do. And that really has it starts with good sleep. So I've been focused much more on trying to get at least you know seven hours. If I'm lucky, eight hours to to make sure I'm ready to go in the morning with a clean with a clear mind. Yeah, it seems like there's more and more research that's coming out on that the importance of sleep. So uh, yeah. I'm working on that one myself. So let's uh, let's rewind the clock to 22 um, year old Christian. You're coming out of Dartmouth, I presume. Uh, what advice would you give to yourself then? Yeah, I um, I think my advice. To- to, to me then, to my to my kids, as I was, I was thinking about this in terms of my kids too, what, what would I want to tell them? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that some of the advice that I got that I think has really helped me and, and I would encourage others to consider is figure out what you really love, what you're passionate about and, and pursue that. And, and the rest will follow in terms of being able to support yourself and make a living and these sort of things. I had a couple of points in my career where I had one choice, which would have been more lucrative and another choice, which just kind of grabbed me more. And I've never regretted going the second path. It's always worked out. So my advice to myself then, and I kind of found found this along the way, and my advice to my kids or others following in my footsteps would be figure out what you love and then 
uh, you'll figure out how to make a living with it. Okay. All right. So uh, you just rolled out of bed. You just had a great night of sleep. What motivates <laughs> you? What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah. So again, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm about 40 now. I've got some, some, uh, some kids that are uh, 10 and 12 and a lot of fun to be with. So I'm thinking my life in terms of building and raising a business and also raising kids, raising a family. And so what motivates me the most is, is, you know, wanting to, to, to really raise great kids. But at the same time, you know, I think about my work life, build great teams. Uh, and develop great teams. And I've had a really great opportunity here over the last couple of years in Nevada to, to hire some great people, build a great team, start to build a really awesome culture. And, and that's a big part of what motivates me uh, on the, on, certainly on the work side. And last question here, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? Well, I want to, I'm on a mission to prove that one can build successful companies and make money in the climate tech space. Because I really, I'm very passionate about doing well and doing good. And I think we need more and more examples of how both are possible. And uh, I'd love for my legacy to be that I was one of the guys who helped, you know, an entrepreneur in the climate tech space and and was involved in building some companies that made important contributions uh, to this climate issue. But also, you know, people made money being part of, investing in, working for, you know, being affiliated with. So. That's that would that'd be a great legacy. All right. Well, that's a perfect way to wrap up the show here. Christian, this has been a blast. Thanks for your time and thanks for being a guest on the Building Efficiency Podcast. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. All right. All right. There you have it. Episode 66 with Christian Weeks. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.